gift My friends, you know that I've been on a mission not only to create a special podcast that hopefully speaks into your life, but also to tell you about shows that are speaking into my life. And that's why I want to tell you about a podcast called The Next Right Thing. This is a podcast about making decisions that are making our lives. Emily P. Freeman, she's a Wall Street Journal bestselling author and, of course, host of this podcast. She describes herself as a curious listener, and she's dedicated to helping us create space for our souls to breathe. Doesn't that sound good? Now, have you ever heard this phrase, decision fatigue? Evidently, it's a real thing. Adults make over 35,000 decisions every single day. I've definitely felt decision fatigue without even really knowing what to call it. And sometimes I'm just like, can I go back to being a kid where my only decision for the day was what flavor popsicle to eat? And then I would just eat them all anyways. Listen, many of our decisions are second nature, but Emily's here for the ones that aren't. She's made it her job to put into words the thoughts that we really don't have time to think. So if you're feeling stuck over a certain decision right now or unsure what to do next and frustrated by maybe a lack of clarity, this podcast is an awesome resource for you. Episodes are released every Tuesday, and I just want to highlight three episodes real quick. Number one is called Become a Soul Minimalist. You'll also want to check out episode 88, Come Away for a While, and then episode 90 is called Start with This Simple Rhythm. As we kick into this new year, I just wanted to highlight this special podcast, Emily P. Freeman. Check out the next right thing and go listen to those podcasts and then send a review. Let her know what you think because I think it's going to speak into your life. Check it out. Happy New Year, my friends. Welcome to the Matthew West Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew West, and this is the first episode of 2021. That feels weird to say. I hope you had a great Christmas. Thanks for joining me today. My family and I, we had an epic holiday season. It was so much fun, and I'm so thankful that I got to spend this time with my wife and my daughters. I got to say, though, um, I'm wondering, as you're listening to this, if, if I sound different. You know, they say the camera adds about 10 pounds, and I'm wondering if the podcast microphone adds 10 pounds. And if it doesn't, guess what? My wife did. Uh, if you follow her on Instagram, at Mrs. M. West, you've probably seen all of the baked goods that she's been cooking up in our kitchen. I'm going to tell you what, it was a garden of gluten in, in our kitchen. And I am not gluten intolerant. I am pro-gluten. And I it was my duty, it was my cross to bear to taste each and every cookie, pie, cake, whatever she made. I was right there in the kitchen with her, just, you know, for, for moral support. So uh, I have put on, uh, at least I feel like I put on a little bit of weight. So as soon as this episode is over, I'll be hitting the treadmill to get back to my fighting weight. Because you know what? My commitment is to bring you the very best in 2021 with this podcast. And so uh, I'm going to get in shape, make sure that we're all getting in shape together. Speaking of getting in shape, my guest today... She's in good shape. No, actually, I don't know if she is or not. Actually, on her bio, she says that she loves pizza. So I think she and I are going to get along really well. But when it comes to getting in shape financially, well, she knows a thing or two about that. I had a great opportunity to hang out with her and be part of her show out at Dave Ramsey's offices. This guest today is passionate about sharing financial freedom. 
She's written four best-selling books as a Ramsey personality, and she's met people from all walks of life who just want to get their money under control. She's going to help us do that today. Whether it's on her show, live on stage, or on social media, she seeks to connect with people and help them do exactly that. Take control of their money and create a life that they love. She's got a brand new book called Know Yourself, Know Your Money. You're going to want to get this book. I'm telling you, it's awesome. Let's go to the story house for the first episode of the year with my friend, my guest, Rachel Cruz. Are we going? Can you hear me? I know I'm, I'm a little high. Okay. The great okay. Rachel Cruz. You're not a little high. That wasn't a statement on your sobriety. <laughs> Okay. I did not have okay, an external we substance. We don't want to start uh, with my scandal. Chair, my chair is just high. <laughs> uh, is your chair? Th- are we? Are you comfortable? I'm good. That's I'm good. that's how I want. I want every show to begin with with comfort and starting from a place of comfort. <laughs> Let's talk about Annie Downs. Let's just start there. I know. Well, you, you said love your, Annie Downs. Your podcast, and I knew you're on her network. That's right. Yeah, Annie is. Uh, oh, dear friends for years. And so we, it's so funny, my husband's, we met her at her birthday party like 10 years ago because she invited me. So my, my husband was like, who's Annie Downs? I was like, Annie F. Downs is wonderful. And he's like, I don't understand. So he's like, we have to have her for dinner because I don't, I don't understand what she does. Like, you know, all of this. So we ended up having my husband's Winston, wind down Winston Wednesdays. Winston, oh wow, so we, okay. I, so one Wednesday a month for the last eight years, Annie has come over to our house and we have dinner That's and put awesome. the kids down and just catch up. So yeah, it's so fun. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> it's been so much fun uh, becoming friends with Annie and having this podcast be part of her network, which is huge. So, so fun. Annie, if you're listening, which she should be listening because she should be <laughs> coaching me along she the way. Li- <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks this for so being great. Congrats on. on the podcast. Too. Thank you. So uh, and you've got a brand new book that just came out and I think intentionally came out at the beginning of of the year. Was that an intentional decision for the theme of this book? Yeah, it really was. Yeah. I mean, a January launch in like the self-help space, if you will, is usually a good. So money, fitness, anything that people start the new year and they're like, I want to do something different. So my other books, I've had spring launches and October launches. So for this one, I was like, please, January. And I decided that back in like 2019. Yeah. So it's wonderful. Just launching a book during a pandemic. Yeah. And we're just doing it. So. <laughs> well, it's one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you now here at the beginning of this year. One, your book just came out. And two, this is the time of year where we're thinking about, you know, New Year's resolutions and things yep. like that, yep. which often fail us uh, or we fail them, whichever way. <laughs> but here's where I was thinking about starting in our conversation today is in 2020, I kind of, you know, like a lot of people, obviously the pandemic hit everybody hard. I found myself going into survival mode. And for me, survival mode looks like work mode. And so I've joked with people that like in 2020, when everything got crazy, I got busy and like, (laughs) I mean, wrote 20 songs, launched a podcast, you know, uh, started working on my next book. I'm selling some steak knives if anybody's interested. You know what I mean? (laughs) Essential oil business. I'm in it. (laughs) Exactly. But I'll tell you, I had a very uh, defining moment in the midst of the busyness I was creating around me, whether it was, you know, to feel productive or to feel like I'm providing for my family, some really good things and, and intentions, I felt like the Lord whispered to me, you know, Matthew, you're doing good. You're working mm. hard. I'm proud of you. Mm. But don't forget to let me work on you because I want to use this trial to, to grow you and to see you become the best version of yourself that I created you to be. And so really, when I saw the title of your book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money, 
I've done a lot of thinking about how 2020 has threatened our emotional health, our physical health, our spiritual health, right? Um, our mental health, yep, yep. Um, our financial health yes. too. And that's one of the reasons why I was super excited to talk with you and excited to read your book because I want to become the best version of me <laughs> as I turn into 2021 and I want the Lord to work on me. Yes. And sometimes allowing the Lord to work on me and on us requires us seeking out resources that can maybe help us ask some difficult questions. Yes, So talk about know yourself, know your money. Now, am I correct in in believing that this is a get-rich-quick book, right? (laughs) It is. Yeah, it's all in there. So if you just read it, you'll become a millionaire like Okay, I was looking. The chapter, uh, (laughs) Win, Earn Your First Million in a Month, really spoke to me. There's a little little real estate sketch, real estate deals in there I'll tell you about. Is it in the shape of a pyramid (laughs) by any chance? (laughs) Just if you want to be under me, that'd be great. Tell me what you know, Rachel. (laughs) No, but so talk about Know Yourself, Know Your Money, the brand new book, released for such a time as this. And I'm hoping this conversation is going to fire people up to to do the same thing that I felt like the Lord was showing me, like, hey, let me work on mm. you and let's let's get to a healthier place in all aspects of your life, including yeah. financial. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I've realized, you know, personal finance, it's like 80% behavior. It's only 20% head knowledge. So knowing what to do with your money is a very small part of the equation. Like the main formula to win with your money is you. I mean, it's your behavior change. You have to learn how to do this and actually do it. And so for 10 years, I've been talking about the how-to, how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to build wealth, how to give, you know, all this how-to stuff. And I realized, man, okay, that's part of like the understanding, the head knowledge, but what about the behavior? Because when you can start to understand why I do the things I do with money, then you can change those bad habits and then you can go in this new direction. And so I think 2020, like you said, I'm like, Money was a source for a lot of people of a lot of stress. If they did lose their job or furloughed, everything got really tight. Or it was a sense where God took that, this was my story in it, and like shook the foundation of my security. Because there were moments like I had probably in April, a few few nights I would go to bed and I was talking to Winston, I'm like, babe, are we going to be okay? Like the cruises on paper, we're fine. We've been doing this stuff for 10 years. Like we, we are in a good spot on paper financially. But it still got like this fear was still there and it still shook me. And I thought, this is so crazy. And I think for for me, God was like, yeah, Rachel, you probably put a little bit too much security in that invest in those investments or in in money. And I think America, we're so utilitarian. We are like we want to go out and win and we can put these band-aids over our fears or you're playing like whack-a-mole with your money, with your problems in life, you know, trying to hit one down. And the moment you hit one down, but you haven't really dug out why you're having these fears and these problems in the first place, another problem is going to pop up. And so money is that lens for a lot of people. And so if I can just get help them get to the bottom of that, under that foundation to really realize, okay, here's why I spend the money I spend. Here's why I'm using it to cope. Here's, you know, how I grew up affects my money habits today because I saw my mom do X, Y, and Z with money. Like all this stuff, like there's so much there. When you can understand the depth of that. It helps you, I think, win with money faster and in general become healthier in your outlook with the subject. Because I don't think a lot of people would naturally connect those two together, like knowing yourself, knowing your money. Starting through your book, I started to realize, like, I've never really examined intentionally 
what it is my parents have passed on to me from a mentality standpoint yeah. as it's approached to my money. And you talk about uh, classrooms. Yes. Yep. The money classrooms. Yes. Can you talk about that? Like, what does that mean? And Yes. Yeah. I talked to so many counselors and psychologists for this book because, again, it's kind of getting into the mind of who we are. And obviously, so much of who we are is nature and nurture, but that nurture side is huge. And like the, the the house you grew up in was your classroom and every lesson you learn in life. And so as adults, we take lessons with us that we learned, and there's some lessons we all wish we could probably unlearn from our childhood. Sure, right. And so what I realized, though, is that money is communicated in two ways in a household. It's communicated emotionally, and it's communicated verbally. And so as I was writing the manuscript, I was like, oh, my gosh, it creates a graph. Like, God gave me a quadrant, and I'm, like, so excited about this because it really it intersects into these four money classrooms. So the first money classroom is the anxious money classroom. And this is where, if you grew up in this classroom, you were emotionally, it was very stressed, but verbally closed. So you felt the tension. You knew there was tension around money, but you couldn't really pinpoint why because it wasn't talked about. Classroom number two is the unstable money classroom. And this is where it's, again, emotionally stressed, but verbally open. So lots of conflict, heard fighting, probably heard your parents have the same money right. fight over so and over again. So you knew as a kid oh, yeah. what was going on. Yeah, yes, gotcha. you felt it, and it was it was being talked about, and not always in the most healthy gotcha. way. Yeah. Classroom number three is the unaware money classroom. So this is where it's emotionally calm, but verbally closed. So your head was probably in the sand with money. It was like, oh, yeah, it just wasn't a thing. It wasn't talked about. Right. It wasn't stressed about. It was just like, okay, okay. just kind of where I was. And then classroom number four is the healthiest money classroom. This is the secure money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open and emotionally calm. Okay. So money's talked about. It's not a taboo subject. You engage yeah. it on a tactical level, an emotional level, all of it. But yet the money in the household, it's probably planned. It's controlled. Um, yeah, there's a level where, yeah, we have a level of control that we're not stressed out and panicked about it. And then like all other aspects of our personalities and who we become, you know, they're greatly shaped by those classrooms. Yes. And the same goes for our outlook on finances. And even as you're talking, obviously the inclination is to personalize it, right? Yeah, Which of is course. the goal of your book. Yes, yes. And I'm thinking about the classroom I grew up in. I'm also thinking about an episode of your podcast that I listened to and you played a little snippet of a conversation with Dave. Yes, yes. But you were also before that conversation, you told about this was a post on social media, actually, on your Instagram account. I'm not stalking you, I promise. The <laughs> no, police have told me. My number one fan is Matthew was. That's yes. fine. That's fine. The police have this this is actually we got this approved, I think, for this. But so you said something about your favorite, one of your favorite Christmas traditions was the if Dave dies conversation. Oh no, it's not my favorite. Like, it's not my favorite, no, but okay. it is it is a tradition at the end of the year. But and but so this would put you in the fourth classroom growing up, I'm imagining. Yeah. Well, what's funny is when I was writing all this, I was writing that secure money classroom part of it. And I really did. I, I was like, this this is kind of how I grew up. And <laughs> yeah. I and I mentioned it to my parents though, and they both laughed in my face. And I was like, what? And I'm like, yeah. Because you were too young to remember when we were stressed out and freaked out, and we were in classroom number right. two. So they would say I was born into classroom number two. Like, okay, so they filed bankruptcy the year I was born. Right. I mean, it was not good, not good. Like, almost got divorced the whole bit. So, yeah, the first probably four years of my life was unstable money classroom. But I don't remember you that. Remember, I, yeah, right. yeah. So my memories are like, what, four, five, six or whatever. Sure. So, yeah. So I would say four is what I remember. But there was years of two in there. That probably shaped who I am. But I now know. these days you sit down annually and Dave <laughs> yes. lays out. Like this I, This just yeah. struck me. I thought yeah. this is, I mean, it doesn't get more yes. communicative and, yep. and uh, transparent than this. Yeah. Just describe that yeah, for a yeah. second. So we have, it's like we laugh. We, we call it the if 
Dave, or the no, not the if because he will die. The when Dave dies meeting. What happens? He will die. <laughs> he will die. He's not immoral. <laughs> <laughs> not if he dies, but when he dies. <laughs> and mom too. So it's like all. So it's just. I mean, the way dad and mom both have approached money with us, even since kids, which I really appreciate, is so. Their heart around it is such stewardship. Like we are such managers of what God has given us. Our careers, our kids, our college degrees, our money, our invest, everything. It is God's. Like our whole life, we are called to manage what he has given us. And so he takes it to the nth degree. Dad does. I mean, he really believes like the business, Ramsey Solutions, to their personal stuff. We are managers. So he's like, you are going to be managing this stuff. If I die, if Dave, if Dave Ramsey ever dies. No, when he dies. And so how for us to be good managers to, yeah. to, to know what's going on. So it is communicated very much on a tactical level. And do you turn around and like have a similar conversation with your family? I mean, you not your baby. Your baby's too young to Yeah, talk we have three about. and they're five and under, but we probably scare them to death. It's so, appropriate. So it's five, appropriate. five is a little young to say... Mommy's going to... Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. So just wait until the appropriate... Yes, yes, okay, yes. Gotcha. But I think it's good, you know, for all families, I mean, especially with adult children, to talk about it and say, hey, here's what's going on. Yeah. So there's the tactical side of money that's important to talk about, but there's also the emotional side of money to talk about. Everything from this idea of, of spirituality and money. How do those two play together? Contentment, generosity, entitlement. Like, right, These there's like these attributes of money that are not as tangible as investing or a budget. But it's this—it's the emotional side of money that's really important because money can become a god very easily, and Jesus warns us about money a lot in the New Testament. So it's like, okay, yeah, we have to make sure that it's, it's in its proper place as well, or you just become money-obsessed if you kind of go off on that track. Would you say that's been your mission? Like, I mean, for 10 years you've been—you've released—I mean, this is just your fourth book? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then all of the work that you're doing— Honestly, like, is that a struggle? I mean, I know for what it is for me to make money, like— uh, just being honest. So here's one thing about me. Like, mm-hmm. so I have a song out on the radio right now called Truth Be Told, mm-hmm. and it's kicking my butt because, like, now I'm going, what, crap, why did I write that song? Because now I have to think, like, am I speaking honestly, oh, right? Totally. Or am yes. I saying what I know I should say that will make somebody listening to this go, wow, that Matthew's got it all together. So yeah. I'm about to let the truth be told. But, like, there's been times in my career, and I'm in ministry, I'm a Christian artist, mm-hmm. and yet things can get to such a point where you get an invitation to go play a concert, and your first inclination is to look at the amount that it pays, mm-hmm. as opposed to the cause that it serves or the ministry opportunity. And there's been checkpoints for me along the way to go like, okay, what is my motivation? Mm-hmm. And what you just said about how emotional it is, but how to not make it your God, what are some ways to make yeah. sure that your your motivations are in the right place and that spiritually how important it is to know that you're being led by the right source of power and the right focus so that you're you're not letting things get to a higher place of priority than they should be. Yes. No, that's a great point. So Longest question ever. No, I love know. it. I love it. Okay. So in my head, I'm thinking, because I've never been asked this question before. So. Really? No, I don't know. Yeah. So uh, so I would say for me, I always have to have a checkpoint with whether it's money. I'm an Enneagram 3. Do you talk, do you talk Enneagram on here? <gasps> yeah. Okay. Annie broke me for a little while because oh, of her yeah. Enneagram summer. Yes. And um, so w- the way I introduced our interview was how I felt like the Lord was saying, let me work on you. And the Enneagram wound up being 
part of that process for me. But it kind of messed with me for a a handful of days where I felt like I couldn't function because I was dealing with the shame of like the unhealthy three. I'm a three as well. Okay, okay. I was like, oh, this this just this read my mail. Oh my god, I feel very exposed. Well, even writing this book, the Enneagram was was in that three years for me where I was doing counseling. I did the all this stuff where I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much of me. So that's part of the motivation of the book in general. But but I know myself enough that I've made things that I know can become a priority, whether it's status, whether it's career, whether it's money, that I always, and I have to check myself all the time where I'm like, okay, God, if it is taken away tomorrow, like if crap hits the fan, everyone right. sees solutions. I'm going to say crap. I think I said crap a minute ago, okay, so I think we're good. Well, we can edit that out. Uh, if stuff hits the fan. Is crap and, allowed? We've got our producer here. It is? Crap okay, is okay, allowed. We're say, good. Annie's not going to, I'm not going to get <laughs> fined by Annie's me. network. <laughs> Yeah, that if I wake up tomorrow, my goal is that my husband doesn't have to put me in a padded room at Vanderbilt because I don't know who I am. Like, right? Like, if everything's just taken away tomorrow, Instagram accounts, YouTube, whatever. Like, I don't care. Best titles of whatever. Yeah, bestseller. Yeah. yeah. Just take it away. Is Am I still content? And so for me, that's a journey I've been on for the last five years that I've had to get to that place spiritually where I'm like, you know what? I am. Like, I am living my life so open-handedly. Now, money takes a little bit of a different position because there's elements that you need money to survive, right? You yeah. need money to pay bills and buy food and all of that. So I want to have enough that I can eat. That sure, would be very nice. Sure. But, like, if a lot of that safety was shaken and taken from me, who am I? I mean, really. And so that character and that calling for me is huge. So the people I surround myself with, Winston, my spiritual, all of that together— is a big part of my journey of kind of keeping me in check for me. Did 2020 enhance that reminder of of what keeps you in check and what really matters? Yes. And what's so crazy, like you said, with the song you wrote, you feel this like level of conviction <laughs> with it. I feel that with my book. Do because, you? Because I wrote, I would talk about money fears in it and there's six of them. Yeah. And that first one is the the fear of like of financial insecurity that, okay, if something happens, are we going to be okay? And 2020 was the only time that I've really gotten to this place of, oh, my gosh, we may not be okay. Like, what if the whole world goes—you know what I mean? Like, what 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 happens if the worst of the worst happens? Am I going to be okay? And I haven't really had to ask myself that financially in a long time because, again, Winston and I live below our means. We do the things I teach, and we teach at Ramsey. So that shook me to, yeah. to a core. And even the coping, I talk about why we spend the money we spend. Yeah. And I found myself in quarantine on Amazon like three times a day just— buying stuff and oh, I'm like yeah. why am I buying stuff I'm like because I'm bored and I'm like why am I okay not being bored I'm like yeah because I don't want to just sit alone with my thoughts okay red flag number one right. why like so it just has made me push down does that make sense under no, 100%. that foundation and ask those questions I love that your book challenges you I think that to me whether you're an author or a songwriter that's a true indication of if you are writing from a very real place in your head and your heart. Yeah. And you talk about in the book um, fears, but you also talk about dreams and the ability to dream again. Yes. And um, that's a title of a song that I put out several years ago, inspired by some people who'd shared their stories of, of dreams being crushed. Mm. And what does it look like to, to, you know, when your husband tells you he doesn't, want to be your husband anymore. You know, how do you, you know, when, when the adoption you hoped would go through didn't go the way that you wanted it to. I mean, we all have uh, tragedies and traumas and, and broken chapters of our stories, and we can get to such a place of defeat, mm-hmm. even financially, and, and maybe especially financially in the year of 2020, right? Yeah. If even, if even Rachel Cruz has had moments in 2020 where she's going, are we going to be okay? And this is an expert on 
on finances, on money. And sometimes I feel like that, you know, I'm supposed to be an expert on spiritual matters and I'm the one who encourages other people. Where does the encourager go when he's having some doubts? Where does the money master or is that an official title? Can I bestow (laughs) that upon you? um, (laughs) But where, where does that person go when they're, when they themselves are having? And so I love that you wrote from that place of honesty. What was interesting to me is this dichotomy between fears and dreams and the importance of if you've had a dream that went south, if you've had a 2020 that shook your foundation and maybe shook the piggy bank and emptied it out, um, what does it take to begin to dream again? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think looking up and realizing, having hope in the future. And I think as believers, we have the ability to tap into that hope. You know, I talk, I'm on a lot of secular stuff that I'm like, I try to kind of explain it and... But I'm like, man, they just don't always get it. But as a believer, like when you have the Holy Spirit in you, like the, the the dream to look forward and have hope in the future, even though it may not look exactly what we thought, it is there. And so I think on a tactical level, I get so in the weeds of my life, you know, with three little kids. And it's like you wake up, do breakfast, and then it feels like I swear you're doing bath time at night and going to bed. And that's yeah. it. Like I'm like, what it's a happened? Blur. Yeah, it is a blur. So, so Winston and I, we carve out time where we have, it's kind of cheesy, but we call it our dream date nights. And we'll just go to dinner. We'll just say, okay, what if money was never an object? Like, what are our dreams in the next two years? Like, do we want to go to Disney World with the kids? Do we want to, you know, start to give to this new organization that I've like fallen in love with? Like, what are the things we want to do? And just, you have to carve out time to do it. Because again, you can get so stuck in the mundane, mundane of life. So taking that time to dream. And then I think when those dreams keep reoccurring, especially if they're long-term dreams, I think that's God saying to you and saying to your heart, like, hey, here's the direction I have for you. And and the kind of the weird thing is not all dreams have a money factor, but a lot of them do in sure. order to fulfill whether you're going back to school for that degree yeah. or you want to start this business or you or want to give. Yeah, 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 whatever absolutely. it is. There's a level of that. So I find that when you dream, your savings follows. People that don't save usually don't have big dreams. So that's always my parallel to say, okay, if you're not saving money right now, sure, there could be a tactical level of, yeah, it's just the budget's really tight. But what if you had that dream that you feel like, oh, God is calling us to this thing. In three years, we want to do this. And it would shape. It's, yes. It changes everything. It changes your priorities financially. So when people aren't saving, usually they're not dreaming. And if you're just dreaming, you have to have a level of that Man. tactical side. I love what you're talking about because it's it's as we go through the process, and hopefully everybody listening to this is going to feel challenged at the start of this year to, to know yourself better on every level and to spend some time in the Lord's presence to to stop your life long enough, to stop doing long enough to really examine what it is you're doing, why you're doing it, what some of the negative habits are on all fronts, including financial, but how some of our financial decisions or our lack of saving, all those different things can be indications or tr- of some other areas of unhealthiness that are going on in our lives. Or maybe we're too busy that we're not doing that dream date night like you talked yep. about. You talk about short-term and long-term goals. What's the difference? Yes. Between- yeah, short-term is anywhere three to five years. So you look up and say, okay, in the next three-ish years here. But then I want you to have long-term dreams too, that you really do look out 10 years, which seems so far. And it'll probably change, you know, between here and there. But just that, I mean, I don't know. I'm like, it's just so fun to think, okay, when we're 50, <laughs> like, 
what what could our life be like? See, Where do we want to be? Like, what do we want to do? And so it just kind of opens up your mind. One of the results of uh, like my childhood classroom, you know, my dad is a pastor. And so I grew up a preacher's kid and we never had a lot of money. But my parents, like, they showed us so much love and generosity. Like, I felt like the richest kid. But I also, like, I remember, like, my dad would be afraid to get a new car because of a comment that might be made. What people are going to think of Right? And so my Mm. dad, he would drive a car until it was dead. Mm. Then he would buy the same car. Right? So So, no one knew. And I remember one time he bought a – finally bought a new car – Left it parked in the garage for like a month. Wow. And I was like, Dad, what are you, why aren't you driving the car? He's like, Well, and he, you, I could tell he was uneasy about it. I'm like, Dad, you bought a Honda. Like, <laughs> like that was the funny thing. It's you would have thought it's he bought important. a Bentley and was afraid to roll up to the church, but it was a sensible car. Yes, totally. <laughs> and, and that has shaped a lot of like. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. Well, there's a thing I talk about in the book about the fear of man. And it can drive you on two sides of it. Most of the time, most people in America you talk to, the fear of man is, oh, what are they thinking about me? I need to be better than what yeah. I am. So they they put on the great clothes. and the, right, They're driving the nice car that they can't afford because it's the standard of living we've set in America that you should be here. And if you're not here, do whatever it takes to get there. You're right. in debt and all that. So that fear of man drives that comparison side. But it also, probably more specifically for believers maybe, it drives the other side of like, oh, gosh, they're going to judge me because oh, I yeah. do drive oh, yeah. a nice car or I do have this nice thing. And yeah. so – but both are unhealthy, right? Like both extremes <laughs> of those sides where I'm like, no, like that's where you got to put the blinders on, right? Well, like, what was funny is years later, like I guess what I do? I drive a car until it absolutely dies. And I've never connected this to my dad, but I bought my first nice car and – I felt so much shame about mm, like mm-hmm. that, and even that, even my definition of a nice car wasn't like maybe some others' definitions. But somebody would compliment on the nice car, and my first response was, "Oh, I got great financing or whatever." <laughs> like I made this like <laughs> disclaimer, you know. Um, one other thing that I'm thinking about that you touched on with the importance of dream date nights is, and I'm thinking somebody, the importance of reading this book. Maybe even as if there's a married couple out there to better understand where your spouse, what classroom they come from and how there's a good chance because opposites attract that you might come from a different classroom. And I remember our premarital uh, counseling. The counselor was like, you know, financial issues are one of the biggest issues. And you guys should really talk about those things beforehand. And one of my favorite memories was, at the time was not my favorite, one of my favorite memories was he'd say, well, you know, it might be good to start off by agreeing on a dollar amount that you're comfortable with each other spending Mm -hmm. uh, up to a certain number. And then above that number, you should consult with your spouse. And so we're a young, newlywed couple. And I had just signed my record deal, but wasn't like rolling in cash. And I said, okay, well, how about $100? Does that sound good? That sounds great. And I could not believe in the weeks that followed how many $99 items there were for sale (laughs) in the marketplace at Nordstrom and wherever else. And I remember that being just this, you know, amazing. It's right under here. It's fine. Yeah. But I I just think that's important for over the course of 17 years of marriage, like better understanding, like a great example, like my wife came from a background and she talks about a lot of a broken home. You know, she remembers being kicked out of an apartment. She mm. remembers deal, And so, like, the way that it affected her emotionally for us to buy a home and then the importance for, like, us to make it a priority to, like, pay off that home, a lot of that was educated by the classroom she grew up in. Like, Absolutely. This is not just surface. Financial stuff is not surface stuff. Like, it's 
hard oh. stuff. Oh. And I think you touch on that in the book by talking yeah. about fears and dreams. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of uh, life's problems masquerade themselves as money problems. So when I'm talking to a couple and they can't agree wow. to get on the same page, I'm like, yeah, it's not a money problem. It's a marriage problem. Wow. Or, oh, you have a debt problem. Okay, is it because you're you, – it's not that it's a debt problem. It's okay because you're not planning at all or you're living way beyond your means because you don't have contentment. I mean, like, there's so many life problems, but money is, like, the filter that it comes through a lot, which is so interesting. But, yeah, I wish – I tried so hard to put the word relationships in the subtitle of this book because it was such a big part of the book. It didn't fit. But but you're exactly right, though. The relationships aspect of money, spe- specifically when you're married. Yeah. I mean, if you're single, there's for sure yeah. conflicts you could have within family or friends. But gosh, that spouse working together as a team, this could be like a whole other podcast, but like it is so huge. And so having the empathy of understanding the other person is so big. So like I talk about seven tendencies. Winston and I are literally the most opposite on each tendency. Yeah. Like we go complete opposite. We grew up in different classrooms. Like, like there, yes, it's also different, but I can start to recognize and it gives me verbiage to say, okay, this is why you are the way you yeah. are. And there's just a level of empathy that, that rises in you as a spouse. I love that. I'm, I'm going to encourage, and my wife and I are going to read this together to, to better understand each other in that sense. And I'll encourage the listeners to do the same. So what I love is that you are a believer. You're somebody who knows who the true author of your story is. And yet you have been given this platform that extends far beyond um, you know, the four walls of a church and you're just, you're just helping people, mm. whether regardless of their spiritual classroom. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. And, um, and yet I know that your faith is important to you. Yeah. Is that, is that fair to say? Oh, Even though huge. you said a bad word earlier I know, in the I'm show. I'm so sorry. I know. Forgive and me. you started <laughs> off by telling us that you were high, uh, even though you're – I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The chair was no, high. It is. I mean, even at Ramsey Solutions, we talk about all the time that we're like, we trick people into like talking about money, but ultimately leading them to the feet of Jesus. Like oh, that's, that's great. it. It's like I just want people to see and know. And when they interact with me or someone on the yeah. team or whatever, like I'm like, I just long. And I'm thankful God put me in different yes. places where Jesus isn't always known. And how many people yes. will say, like, something's just different. Something's just different, you know? And I'm like, oh, I just want to tell you about Jesus so much. You know, so it's it's such a cool, it really is a cool ministry opportunity. But yet I get to talk about something I love, too, is helping people get control of their money. So, Well, so the last question that I always ask is a spiritual question and maybe one that you wouldn't normally get asked in your typical speaking engagements or whatever it might be, uh, which might make this, you know, your favorite interview you've ever done. No, I'm just kidding. 100%. I'm just serious. But um, so I talk about a blue couch story, and it's a big part of my testimony growing up as a preacher's kid, figuring I'll just get to heaven because my family's in the business, right? Mm. And then that moment where it went from a family connection to like, wait a minute, I think I think I want Jesus. Mm. I think I need Jesus. I want and I want him in my life. I want him to be the author of my story. And so a blue couch factors into that. Sitting on a blue couch in my living room, uh, growing up, thirteen year old kid, and and asking Jesus into my heart, watching a Billy Graham crusade. Mm. My listeners have heard that a million times. My mom sat and prayed with me, and that was a moment where my faith became real to me. And it's a moment that has served as an anchor for me all these years later where I still return to that and realize that God sees me the same way he did when I was that 13-year-old kid who didn't know how many messes he would make or how messed up this world was. I just knew I needed Jesus, and I'm, I'm daily wanting to return to that blue couch moment. So I love asking people, hey, what's a blue couch moment in your life that you return to or a moment where you felt like God just really showed I'm real 
I love you. You're my child. Let's go. Yes. Oh, gosh. I've had, I feel like a couple, but my, I'd say the first big one for me, junior year of high school. So sophomore year was just kind of like, just rebelled, did the whole thing. And I, mom and dad were changing churches at the time and they made me, made me like put me in the car and drove me and dropped me off at the new youth group yeah. at the new church. And I, at the time I was not like nowhere near. Yeah. And I remember like being embarrassed. I was like, oh, God, if someone in high school sees me here, they're going to judge me. Cause they're like, this girl doesn't, you know, cause I was not following Jesus at all at that point. And gosh. And I remember meeting one of the leaders there and talking anyways, the next week I got a letter in the mail to be part of the leadership council of this youth group. Wow. And I thought, no, 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 no. Like, they don't understand. Like, I don't. Nope, 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 nope. They do not want me representing Brentwood High School or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, at this church, I was like, oh, my God. But I said, but I went. Of course, mom and dad saw the letter. Like, this is so great. Go, go, go. And We're I was so like, proud oh, of my you. God. But I went and I sat in that meeting and it was like the Holy Spirit just like, whew. And it was like every brokenness, every emptiness, everything this teenager was trying to chase after that I knew in my head wasn't good. Like, I knew the things I was doing. Sure. Going, but I just, I wanted it. I did. And that's where I was living. And the moment I sat in through that meeting, I don't even know what was said in it. But I mean, I just felt the most obvious call. I really did. Love it. Of like, man, I'm here and there's nothing fulfilling me in this yeah. life. That's what I remember thinking. That, that was my verbiage as a junior in high school. Like, I'm so not happy. I'm so not fulfilled. And I know that there's a better way. So that, I really started walking with the Lord. And then I became the legalistic high school kid. Like my like my last <laughs> yeah. two years of high school, I was like, everyone, everyone. Uh, and then college just had a great group of people. But I think the moments, you know, I think we can celebrate in yeah. the harvest that God has for us. But I think that sowing that goes on in our life and the hard times, which I've had, like once I've been married 11 years and I just have like probably three or four sure. endpoints of that, that I'm like, God, he just, like the fact yeah. that we have, we serve a God where we are fully known and exposed in every part, and he still longs for us. It gets me. Like, I just can't believe I get to serve that right. God. I get to serve that yeah. Jesus. And so— And that's powerful. And I love that it was a call to leadership that actually, like, spurred that for yes. you, you know? And so that's just incredible. And and you're right about the blue couch moments happening all along the way because— It's a great question, though, because like, you can probably—I mean, most people have that in their story. They can yeah. go right there. I can go right back to that room. And just remember those colors of those moments of, like, yeah, the hour beautiful. you first believed. And just and just that reminder, anybody t- listening to this is like, what you just said, Rachel, is so true. That God sees all— he knows all he knows about all the messes in our lives, the rough corners of our character, the the parts that aren't so put together. And he has a plan for us to be better tomorrow and more like him than we were today. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it's a process. So I'm I'm so thankful that you would join me on the show. And I'm excited about your book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money. We're gonna post a link on the podcast page and your sales are gonna like go through it's gonna hit a number the one roof, especially <laughs> because of that chapter which chapter is it when you're first make earn, a make a million in a, a day million or, in so, a month. or in a month million in a month that was it because yeah. i like alliteration yeah, that's so. good you're much better uh, at words than i am and so i'm gonna and i'm signing up under you for the uh, that's what i was hoping so all your yeah. yeah all my listeners can go to matthew's your account and we're selling what now we're selling uh, <laughs> candles or uh, we'll, we'll figure out something rachel thank you for joining me thanks for having I me i think this is going to be an encouragement to a lot of people thank you now it's time for Songs from the Story House. Today's song from the Story House is the perfect song for the first podcast episode of 2021. It's a song called Day One.
Now, as many of you might know, my songs, a lot of my songs are inspired by the true stories and testimonies of people's lives. Thousands of people have shared their stories with me over the years, and they continue to do so. And as you can imagine, I get to witness one inspiring story after another. Sometimes those stories even inspire a song. Day One is a song about new beginnings, and the story that inspired this song taught me that new beginnings can come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes a Day One can even look like a pizza. Take a listen to this first verse, and then I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about. Well, I wish I had a short-term memory. Wish the only thing my eyes could see was the future burning bright right in front of me. But I can't stop looking back. Yeah, I wish I was a perfect picture of somebody who's never not good enough. Well, I try to measure up, but I mess it up. And I wish I wasn't like that. I wish I had a short-term memory. I wish the only thing my eyes could see is the future burning bright right in front of me. But I can't stop looking back. Those words were inspired by Josh. Josh shared his story with me, and his story began with some broken chapters. You know, I talk a lot about how we've all got broken chapters in our stories, right? We wish they weren't there, but we've got them, and we're powerless to change them on our own. I talk a lot about the broken chapters because I find hope in the promise that there is one who can bring healing and redemption to the most messed up chapters of our stories. And Josh knows exactly what I'm talking about. Josh grew up with a difficult childhood. His broken chapter had been handed to him by parents who weren't the parents they needed to be. He got that broken chapter at a young age. With no positive role models in his life, he started to get messed up in drugs. And this is what he said. I chose the path of unrighteousness and I got in a lot of trouble. I was young. I ended up doing 10 years in prison for selling meth. I got out when I was 27. I lost everything. I was sitting behind bars and it was all my fault. Think about that. At age 27, he had already spent 10 years in prison. Listen to the words of this second verse, because this was kind of the victory message I wanted to speak to Josh about our best days not being behind us. I felt like that was a message maybe he could benefit from. Check it out. Grace reminds me that my best days are not behind me Wherever my yesterday may find me Well, I don't have to stay there, no See, my hourglass is upside down And my Sunday soon is here and now The clock is ticking and I'm so sick and tired of missing out Now check this out. Josh, behind bars, began a relationship with Christ. That's right. He found his freedom while a prisoner, while an inmate. But fellow inmates would jokingly refer to Josh and his newfound faith as just having jailhouse religion. In other words, he might live for Jesus behind bars, but once he's released into the free world, he's just going to go back to his old ways. Well, Josh was determined to prove them wrong. After getting released from prison, he got plugged into a local church that rallied around him and supported him. One family would pick him up every Sunday, take him to church, and then have coffee with him afterwards, and they would sponsor him. But Josh's next challenge was to find a job. Turns out not a lot of people would take a second chance or give a second chance to an ex-convict. This is something he said. There's a stigma about people like me. I'm a convict. I've got tattoos. Not everyone gives people second chances. Sometimes that's warranted, and sometimes it's not. A guy who owned a pizza restaurant in their town heard about Josh and decided to give him a much-needed second chance. Josh started at the bottom. He worked for minimum wage in the dish room, but he was determined to prove to everyone that he was a changed man. He kept working hard. He got promoted to shift supervisor and then assistant manager and then to general manager. 
So from convict behind bars to working for minimum wage in the dish room to becoming general manager of the pizza restaurant. How's that for a comeback story? Now, whenever I write a song inspired by somebody's story, I always try to find a unique way to let them know that there's a song inspired by their story. And in Josh's case, I could think of no better way than to call the pizza restaurant where he was the general manager and file a complaint about my imaginary pizza that I ordered. I asked to speak to the general manager, of course, and once I got Josh on the phone, I told him the truth. I told him who I was, told him that I wrote this song for him. The crazy thing was is the song had just started getting played on the radio, and Josh had a little bit of a tremble in his voice as he told me that the first time he heard that song on the radio, there was something inside that told him that was his song. How awesome is that? Josh knew that day one was about his day one, and I didn't even write the word pizza in the song. Now, one of the coolest moments was bringing Josh on stage at a summer festival, this big summer festival in Minnesota, not far from where Josh lives and works. He shared his testimony. We sang his song day one, and then a crowd full of people gave a standing ovation to a young man who'd seen redemption take place in his life. Imagine that, an ex-convict with tattoos, getting a standing ovation from a group of Christians. Why? Because we've all got broken chapters. And when we see somebody who's handed their broken chapters over to a God who loves us and the God who promises us to give us his mercy every single day, we cheer that on because we want to believe that same redemption can take place in our lives. There's nothing we can do to earn the day one. All we can do is receive it and walk into that day one. Lamentations reminds us that God's mercy is new every single morning. Anytime you hear this song, Day One, I hope you'll think of a pizza. I hope you'll remember a story of a guy named Josh. But most importantly, I hope that you'll think about your own life as we turn towards this new year of 2021. I wonder what a day one needs to look like for you. Maybe it's a change of habits. Maybe it's a decision to turn from some old ways and some repetitive sin. Maybe it's a new commitment to Christ and a determination to walk in the mercy every single morning that God is offering to you with the rising of the sun. Today is day one. And guess what tomorrow is? Day one. And the day after that, well, you get the idea. So thank you, Josh, for sharing your story and showing us that a day one can look like a pizza sometimes. It's day one, and here comes the sun. It's day
Well, he's my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why this final segment of the show is called Dad Vice. He's my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why this segment is called Dad Vice. Dad, Happy New Year to you. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matthew. Happy New Year to you. Well, I'm happy to announce that I've renewed your contract and picking you up for another season. So, Hey, I am thrilled at that. Have you figured out what a podcast is yet? No, I'm still working on that, though. <laughs> so, Just happy to be here. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, why don't you send us out? This is the first episode of the new year. Send us out with some encouragement. Well, we're going to be encouraged by the words brand new. Love it. And we have just one challenge for today's dad advice, and that is to take a brand new look at God. And for all of us, if we look back at 2020, it has affected every aspect of our lives, and even spiritually. This year of trials has either left you feeling drained and far from God or closer to God than you've ever been before. And that's what trials do. They're designed to either draw us closer to God or draw us farther away. And for many... There are some heavy trials and and, uh, very well could have driven them away from God for a while or even still. A good uh, illustration about this is our three-year-old grandson, Duke. We were at a football game with him, and, and he likes to run around. But we saw that he had fallen down the steps of the bleachers, and uh, we quickly ran over to him and quickly asked him, Duke, are you okay? He jumped up and said, never better. (laughs) And I thought, Lord, you just taught me a great lesson about life from a three-year-old grandson named Duke that when he took a hard fall, he got up and said, never Never better. better. Not to mention the fact that most times Duke's running around in his underwear only. So (laughs) maybe that's a cue for 2020. No, I'm just kidding. 2021. But that's a a great lesson to learn from a three-year-old. Oh, it it really is. And, And so how can we approach this new year with a brand new look? And can we approach it like Duke and say, no matter what comes... Even with all that took place in 2020, no matter what comes, it's going to be never better. No matter where you find yourself today, 2021 offers us a perfect opportunity to take a brand new look at God. We want our relationship with Christ to be stronger than ever heading into this new year, or in Duke's words, never better. One of our key verses for today is Hebrews 12, 2 looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Mm. who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, keep looking to him who endured such hostility, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. David Jeremiah wrote this about the word look. To look means to look away from something and to fix your gaze on the right thing. Christian men and women should look with spiritual eyes beyond their immediate trials to Jesus. Another quote is, whatever we focus our attention on is what will dominate our thoughts. If our thoughts are dominated by the things of this world, then we are going to get worldly results in our lives. We need to focus on God to get godly results. Psalm 121.1, I lift up my eyes to the hills, Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The key is focus, looking to Jesus 
in 2021. Hey, Dad, that's a great encouragement. I love those scriptures and the reminder that God is the author and perfecter of our faith, the author and perfecter of our stories. And it's funny because you use the phrase never better that our nephew Duke said when he fell down the stairs. And I found myself a lot of times in 2020 looking around and going, it's never been worse. Right. And so to have that shift in perspective and a shift in perspective that drastic from never worse to never better can only come when we fix our eyes on the right source, the ultimate source, the source of the God of all hope. And so to get a brand new look at God as we turn into 2021, it, that, that takes our eyes off of ourselves. It takes our eyes off of our own circumstances and reminds us that it's only when we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith that we find hope and that we find encouragement enough to have a positive outlook that 2021 is going to be better than 2020 and that day by day, God's going to be making us more and more like him. We are not the finished versions of ourselves, and this is not the finished chapter of our story. We are works in progress, and so we can walk forward and move forward knowing that the best is yet to come. And as we step into 2021, we can be like that little three-year-old, even when we fall down the stairs and say, thank you, Lord, never better. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. Hey, that's our show for today. Show number one of 2021 is officially in the books. I want to thank my guest, Rachel Cruz, and be sure to check out her new book that just came out, Know Yourself, Know Your Money. It's a great book to add to your New Year's reading list. We will post a link to her new book at the official podcast page. What is that official podcast page? It's matthewwest.com slash podcast. That's pretty easy, right? matthewwest.com slash podcast. You can find links to information about every guest that we have, all the songs that we talk about and songs from the Storyhouse, and you can find more information about the ministry that my dad and I have. We would love to connect with you through that ministry by sending you a weekly devotional or just collecting your prayer requests. We have a nationwide prayer network, so be sure to check out information about Pop We at the official podcast page, matthewwest.com slash podcast. With that, I want to wish you a happy new year. Here is to the promise that God makes being fulfilled, that he's doing a new thing, right? He promises to make all things new. I'm excited to see what 2021 has to bring. But as 2021 has taught us, no matter what it brings, we know that God is with us. We know that God is in control and we know that he is the author of every story. So remember, it's your story for his glory. I'll see you next week. Seriously, I, I, I do.